Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. All right, welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I believe we are on episode number five. Five. Number five, we're still alive, friends. And we're broadcasting today from High Top Dogtown in North Carolina. (laughs) And joining me again is is our fellow host, uh, Matthew and Jacob and Brent. Uh, Today's topic is Appalachian values and culture. We're going to split this one up into two segments. We're going to do five this this time on episode five. So this is like the five at five, right? Okay. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> and then the episode six, we'll do the other five. So let's just uh, kind of jump right in here. We're going to be talking about values and characteristics. Uh, we have a lot of um, a lot of good things to say here about Appalachians. The last one was kind of bottom of the barrel with stereotypes. Now we're coming on out and highlighting the good characteristics that Appalachians have. And let's start out with religion. Uh, some have said that we have a very diverse religious area here. You know, if you think of the background of the Appalachians, uh, you have Cherokee, uh, Melungeons. Y'all familiar with that? I educated you on Melungeons, didn't I? You'd never heard of them before. You got Scot-Irish, German, English, and of course African-American, all having backgrounds and bringing to Appalachia some religious influence uh, when they settled in this area. So let's... uh, Let's dive in here. What kind of diversity do we see uh, settled in here? What predominantly did the settlers bring to Appalachia when they came in from Western Europe? Well, I mean, I, th- I think you saw a lot of a lot of Presbyterian. You saw Methodist. I think you saw Congregationalists, which obviously was where, where Baptists were from. Yes. And so, uh, and so you saw a lot of that kind of coming into the region, so... What you're saying is Baptists didn't come from Jesus, John, and the Jordan. What? Wait a minute. Hold up. This should be another episode. Uh, Yeah, we'll we'll get (laughs) to the we'll get to the landmark in a minute. But but yeah, I think what you what you saw was uh, many of these people that came. You know, they they were coming either you know from from a religious persecution or or whatever. Uh, And and I think in many ways they found this area as a safe haven, and so there there was a lot of different. different denominations and uh, affiliations that that kind of circled in and stayed in the Appalachian region. So I think I think that's why even when people talk about the South being the the buckle of the Bible Belt, I don't view it so much as the South as I view most of it as as many of Appalachia. Yeah, it's not just that those people came here. Those, I mean, those those churches thrived here in a lot of ways, and and some of the biggest church planting movements in our country's history sort of originated from Appalachia. All right, since this is the Appalachia Baptist Network, let's let's deal with the elephant in the room here, talking about how many flavors of Baptist are there in Appalachia? Too I mean, many. Too many. Let's name a few here and, and talk about the distinctions. Well, free will. You, you've got free will Baptist. You got missionary Baptist. Independent you have Baptist. independent fundamental Baptist. You have primitive Baptist. You have Southern Baptist. The Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, I think you probably find, you know, there, there's a handful of cooperative Baptists. Charismatic Baptists? Uh, 
Uh, I'd be hard-pressed to find one, but there, there's Baptocostal. Um, what about Independent, Fundamentalist, Dispensationalist, Baptist? I saw that on the side. That's about 15 there, minutes there, north of here. Is that there right? Are some, there, I, would say, I would say that there are some, some of the... Some of the there's not really a ton of consistency in doctrine and like the free will churches in our Baptist churches in our area I don't think and so I would say some of those would sort of be that borderline Baptistical type. Mm-hmm. You would know. I, I would know. I married one. <laughs> then you would. Sorry, Alden. Let's be honest. Our wives probably aren't going to actually listen yeah, to this. My wife doesn't. Maybe not say. your wives. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about one particular flavor of Baptist that I think is unique in Appalachia. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who was actually my dad's friend from childhood, he passed away recently. He was a member of the old regular Baptist church. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever had any encounters with these churches? I mean, I don't think I, I've encountered them personally, but I think that they've probably got a lot of roots in some of the mm-hmm. some of the current, you know, Baptist denominations now, like your, your free will Baptists or things like that. So in this church, they um, would have the women sit on one side of the church. Men would sit on the other. It was not uncommon to see services go on for hours. Uh, and many times they're, um, the way they would sing and preach, I don't remember there being any instruments, was almost um, chant-like and rhythmic. You know, and so it was. It was different. Uh, the church that Matthew was talking about a few minutes ago, I think, well, we won't mention the name of it, but um, I think I think they sort of find. I think that's sort of where their roots are because that, that they I still operate that. that way. <clears throat> mm-hmm. They still operate that way. Yeah, they're one of the older uh, branches of Baptist in Appalachia, and I don't think you find many old regular Baptist churches outside. Unless you go, unless you're going to Gatlinburg and you see them there at the, there in Cades Cove. Yeah, yeah, that's where my family came from. Uh, a lot of uh, you you have you have primitive Baptist in Appalachia. Uh, what what is one of the marks of uh, primitive Baptist you've observed? Have you seen? Well, I know one of the things I feel like I've I've heard people speak about with primitive Baptist is is mostly. Mostly the idea that uh, they don't meet as regular. There's not a regular gathering on a on a Sunday morning, um, and so oftentimes it can be. Uh, it, it sometimes it's a monthly gathering. That's one of the things I've always thought was was kind of interesting. Um, some people have called them old school Baptist or hard shell Baptist, kind of going back to some some old roots there. Um, theologically, I'm, I'm trying to remember where Primitive Baptist land. To be honest with you. They're hyper-Calvinist. Are they? Yeah, okay. they're, they have a pretty strong stance on election. Double predestination. And okay. they would be, so if there's a spectrum in the mountains, your old regular Baptists are going to be election by grace, mm-hmm. so they're going to be on one end of the spectrum, and then your primitive Baptists are going to be on the other end. Kind of doctrines of grace. Uh, even maybe a little past that. Yeah. They go way past that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then there are even, oddly enough, some primitive, primitive Baptist universalists who are not even on the scale. <laughs> they're clearly, on a whole other field that they're wait, playing so you, on. You've seen this uh, in Appalachia? <laughs> yes. And so these guys are pilgrims in the hands of a happy God, is how they would sort of define themselves. I guess everybody gets an entrance into heaven in their, in their ballpark there, so... 
Um, so a universalist, type. Calvinistic, primitive Baptist church. That's that's unusual. I don't know of any yeah, churches in our. Yeah. In, I mean, when I say our area. Like you said, we're in Minneapolis today. I, I don't know of any churches in our county, you, Matthew, that would sort of fall into that category? I, I don't no. think that there's much existence. Now, I know I've talked, there, there's a I know there's a girl who joined our church recently who, she came from a primitive Baptist church, but um, I don't know a lot of primitive Baptists in the area, honestly. No, that, there's not going to be many. There was one primitive Baptist in where I'm from, in South Alabama, and I, I just didn't know what they believed doctrinally when I was younger, but they lived on a dirt road with a pine thicket in front of it with this little old sign. I was like, man, that, that, the primitive always went to like, man, they're old school. Like, they're, <laughs> no, we don't want any nice roads. We don't want any <laughs> air conditioning. We don't want any. Later found out that was not the case. It was actually a pretty nice little church in the middle of nowhere. But, yeah, I, I don't know of any here in our, in our county. I think they've kind of, for the most part, have kind of died out. We still have some Mennonite churches around. That that's makes sense. one that's yeah. you don't see most yeah, places. I don't think sense, yeah. it maybe is still hung on in Appalachian. They some may have died out, but I think um, not all of the concepts from those churches have died out. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Like uh, the um, if you talk to some of your more senior adult members in your congregation, there's a good percentage chance you'll find at least one who was raised primitive Baptist. If they weren't raised primitive Baptist, their parents were. Yeah. And that's a that's you know, they, they used to have a much stronger hold than they do now. But but if I'm not mistaken, um, you have missionary Baptists. Yes. And missionary Baptists kind of came out or split out of primitive Baptists. They still a, hold a lot of the same kind of distinctives, but I think there's more of an emphasis on evangelism as opposed to primitive Baptists. I could be wrong in this, so hear me clearly. The missionary Baptists of which we see here in Avery County is a lot different than the missionary Baptists elsewhere. Oh, yeah. So yeah. if we want to go back pre-Southern Baptist Convention to the Triennial Convention, we see that missionary Baptists were those who believed in missions here. And so, for example, there's a church called Panola Missionary Baptist Church that's part of our association they still have the word missionary because that's how they were founded as a church that believed in the Great Commission. And so that that term is a little bit different than like if I went back home. But you've also got some missionary Baptist churches in our area that are, they lean very strongly independent. I mean, they're they're more of an independent Baptist church than they would be maybe your typical missionary Baptist church. Oh, I would maybe even argue that most of our... uh, theologically conservative churches even in the SBC are going to have a tinge yeah. of independent Baptist theology yeah. and uh, to the betterment or the detriment you know but uh, anyway but I think this does get in when you're talking about religion as an important aspect and you do have you had Presbyterians and you had Methodists moving but you had a lot of Congregationalists mm-hmm. that is where kind of those Baptist roots come from and so because of the autonomy of the local church I think that's why here we are having this discussion about different Baptist subgroups and denominations, and even among those different groups, there there's a variance there, it's because they, they there is that belief in the the autonomy of the local church. I think it also made it possible for Baptists to multiply quicker hmm. than their Presbyterian and maybe even Methodist counterparts. You know what I mean? You could yeah. have 
quicker quicker duplications. Well, and part of that is though, if we want to look back historically, the Methodist Church as well as the Presbyterian Church wanted educated pastors. They did, mm-hmm. and so they wanted to send them off to their seminaries. In Baptist life, that's not been the case as part of the ordination process. They're cemeteries, aren't they? I mean, cemeteries. Uh, excuse <laughs> the joke I've always yeah. heard. Yeah. But, but that's, only a rec- is, that's only a recent is, trend. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if you've sat there and you had somebody that feels called to ministry, you, you see their giftings, you ordain them, and they go down the road and help pastor whatever church it is in the next holler. I mean, so, so we were able to produce a lot faster than, than Methodists or, or Presbyterians. But I will say this, there's an insane amount of Methodist and Presbyterian churches here in the region in which we live. Mm-hmm. Far more than anywhere else I've ever lived in. Well, it's still a lot. And yeah. I think more than most people would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially, I think, Western North Carolina has quite a bit of Presbyterian Methodist churches. I would say more than East Tennessee. Yeah. But there's still quite a bit, even in East Tennessee, compared to, to most regions of the United States. In my community of 200 people, via the census, there are two Presbyterian churches. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just proves the point. It's more than we think. Like two hundred yeah. people. There's one Baptist, two Presbyterian. Like there's a lot of Presbyterian churches and there's a lot of Methodist churches here. Yeah, uh, and then there are different flavors within with uh, within. I know Presbyterian, and of course the divided Methodist. I mean, excuse me, the United Methodist Church is having a bit <laughs> of a fight right now, anyway. But uh, the um, you know you've got a form of Presbyterian church that I think they're called the Cumberland Presbyterians. Yeah. They're very similar in practices to Baptist the more yeah. than they are their Presbyterian counterparts. Are you familiar with them? Never heard of them. Yeah, it's kind of more out of out of Kentucky. Yeah, uh, coming Presbyterian and uh, came out of Kentucky. It's actually more prominent in Middle Tennessee and uh, not so much here in East Tennessee, but but another kind There's of a few. subgroup. There's a few. So there's definitely a tinge here, and you know, so when you go into a room. You know, and, and I mean, I think about, like, diversity of Baptist churches. I've been to old regular Baptist church meetings. I've been to a missionary Baptist church meeting down in Luttrell. My aunt and uh, my uncle at the time, no longer my uncle. But, uh, and uh, he was a deacon there, I think. But what they would do there, they would holler, scream, and I, I call it uh, wind-sucking, you know, where you, oh, Lord, and, I, and then, you know, they keep going. And I've always wondered if you just got in there and read the transcripts from a Tennessee football game, but you did it in that format, if the people, if you could still get some amens. It, you know it what I mean? some old transcripts. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> only if it was, only if it was a 98 yeah. or back in the late 90s for Tennessee, The SEC, right? Arkansas, Tennessee game there. It's like the last 20 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, more, like a, more like a funeral than a. <laughs> but I can remember them talking about the pastor. You know, they were very anti-education, very anti-seminary trained pastors, and they would run the backs of pews. I don't yeah. know if y'all ever heard of pew runners. They would yeah. actually run the backs of pews, and one pastor kicked the door down the church because he was quote really in the spirit that day. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then you contrast that with a with a different type of service. I would say if we if anyone were to step into any of our churches on Sunday morning, I don't think they're going to find pew runners or people kicking down doors in the spirit. Uh, so you know what what are we left to conclude here? If you if somebody said and this is common, somebody says, "Will you go see my cousin in the hospital or my uncle?" Uh, he's uh, as the paper puts it in the obituary of the Baptist faith. What do you really know about that person if they're of the Baptist yes. faith? Who knows. Yeah, I mean, it could be the 
wind-sucking variety, you know what I mean? The It could be the type that sit in our pews every Sunday. It could be old regular. Uh, you know, it just to say you're Baptist here in Appalachia doesn't really inform us a whole lot, does mm. it? No. No, not so much. I mean, I, I, you would assume there would be some some sort of belief about about the centrality of Scripture and about the gospel and uh, a lot of holding fast to those things. But when you got outside of those kind of two or three major doctrines, you're you're, you're looking at just a, a plethora. You, yeah. you have no clue what you're looking at. Yeah, I mean, I had to figure out what free will Baptists were. I'd never seen them before. Mm-hmm. What do you think about them? Here. I mean, in my in my experience living, <coughs> excuse me, living in this area, it's. You know, if if someone, the example that you use, Travis, you don't really know what someone's expectations of you are going to be just because they're Baptist. But what's interesting is is most of the time, if somebody just tells me that they're a Baptist and I pry a little bit deeper, more often times than not, that's just what a Southern Baptist says. We're just mm-hmm. Baptists. But a lot of times, if it's an independent Baptist, they're not just going to say, I'm back. We're, we're independent Baptists. They're gonna, yeah, they're going to press free will will free will. Yeah. yeah, and so... Independent dispensationalists. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They're going but really, old AV, regular AV missionary. With, with most of these other, I don't know, branches of Baptist, if you will, I, I feel like most of the time in this area, if someone just says, I'm, I'm Baptist, it's probably safe to assume they're Southern Baptist. Not all the time, because most of the time, if there's something else, they're going to preface that I'm Baptist with I'm independent Baptist or free will Baptist. Uh, on this topic, another thing I've observed, and this is this is a, I don't know what I want to call this, um, I'm going to say a battle with mysticism that I've dealt with as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it, There is a certain pastor that hails from Atlanta, and I won't, uh, won't mention his name, but he has done a lot to popularize the theology of mysticism. And I feel like mysticism is a dominant feature in Appalachia. Like this concept of, it's almost like if you plan something or if you try to organize or if you try to uh, strategize, God can't be in that. That it has to be uh, like, I guess, popcorn. It has to be like spontaneity is the true test of whether or not the Holy Spirit's actually working, which is why I think you see a rise of these um, different types of, like, that Missionary Baptist Church. One of the things I noticed in that one church in Luttrell is when they would pray as a congregation. Now, when we pray in our church, I would pray, and everybody kind of listens and amens along. We do that usually when we're together. Uh, Not in that church. Everybody that was in that church prayed at the same time. And what was weird about that was they had a person who was supposed to lead the prayer, and I guess your job is to just out-pray everybody else until the last one dies down, and, then, louder. and, then, it's, and then it's over. And it was just very, to me, it was so chaotic. I couldn't hardly concentrate on what I was trying to say to the Lord, uh, but they don't see congregational prayer as anything different than that, and I think that's tied to that mysticism, hmm. you know. But uh, have you guys encountered mysticism in your congregations? You understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I have. I mean, I have not. I have not here at, at Minneapolis, but I I definitely know of several churches that. I mean, it's. I I wouldn't just say they encountered. I would say it goes as far as it's a real issue. 
And it can even be a hindrance to 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 church health and and all those sorts. Well, of I think also I think if you listen to to some degree, and you might see this kind of broadly even in you know in a lot of a lot of evangelical churches, but but there is this language of really been trying to search for a sign for God's will or yep. trying to, you know, search for something as opposed to kind of saying, oh, well, God really <laughs> revealed this, God really revealed this to me in scripture. Yeah. It, it's kind of usually kind of outside the bounds of scripture, some kind of, some kind of sign or something pointed me to do this particular thing in God's will. And so I think you'll hear that for sure. Yeah. I would say there's a connection too between mist like this idea of mysticism and the fact that it does exist in our churches. And I would say if I, if I, if I've dealt with it personally, any in this area at all, it would be in regard. It almost gives people like this. I don't even know what fascination with the Book of Revelation and with with prophecy, mm-hmm. you know, and really want to get fired up of, about that. And I mean, I think that maybe maybe the, the maybe our church dealt with that more in the past before I came than they have now, and sort of. Got got past that, but I think there's still a lot of churches in our area where that love of mysticism just sort of flows over into like this mis misguided interest into prophecy in the Book of Revelation and things of that nature. We've got to figure out how long and a half. Yeah, we got to know. Well, I mean, there's guys. Tim LaHaye has clearly made nice charts for us all. We can reference and look at, right? <laughs> if you believe in that. Now, let me tell you this, though. I'm pulling for the dispensationalists. I'm really looking for that get out of the uh, suffering free card at the end of time. I just, nobody else in history of the church has ever gotten it, but I hope they're right. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> They've had it for the last 150 years. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pulling for them. I hope, I hope they're right. I'm pulling for them. All right. Um, anything else on the uh, issue of religion? I mean, I, I would say. Most people in Appalachia, and I don't have the hard facts behind this, but most that I encounter, even if they're not part of a church or anything, they believe in prayer. You know what I mean? Like they will, it's really a good connecting point for ministry, you know? Uh, And even if they're not part of a church or necessarily even Christians, you can still get them to come to the table on the issue of prayer. I don't think atheism is a predominant view. Um, no, I think I think even even the atheism may not be a predominant view. I think even the other day uh, we were driving through Asheville, um, and I remember driving through Asheville, and, and my wife had read a sign, and it said something about um, a spiritual healing center. And so I think you talk about that conversation of mysticism, but, and so even 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 a lot of times in the region, even for those that would not claim any kind of religious affiliation or anything like that would still believe in some value of prayer or spiritual Good vibes. healing or you know some sort of representation almost kind of middle eastern yeah. uh they may not connect it to that but i do i do think that there's some that's a there's a tinge of that here in the area yeah plus it is Asheville, which i think we put Asheville on notice in an earlier episode we did we did so this is i mean the other day Saturday afternoon, I go to Dollar General. There's a girl in there wearing a Coexist t-shirt mm-hmm. and Panola. Um, there, there's... There's some. There's I some. Mean, I'm not saying there's and none. I, and I would say this, just based off of, of doing ministry with students, there was a rise of that type of philosophy in the students that necessarily would not be in the parents or grandparents. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got, you know, we had students today have access to more 
information than ever before. Yes. Uh, not always with discernment. You need well, they're discern- getting their theology from YouTube. Oh, yeah. Which is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're on YouTube, Matthew, and then I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm Are you on YouTube? <laughs> Are you? I don't think I am anymore. Not anymore? Okay. Hey, Took him a minute. Yeah. He was banned from you. I had to process through. I had to process through. It's called a Baptist explainer. I got you. Explain that, huh? All right. Now we got to move on here. we got at least four more to cover quickly. Uh, another value, independence, self-reliance, and pride. Uh, would you? Let's talk about this. Do you see this in Appalachians? Yes. Yeah, I think we've talked about this a little bit in previous episodes. There's there's definitely a sense of pride and independence and and not needing help from people from the outside as well. But I, I think I, I see it for sure here in the area because uh, I, I see it in my own self um, mm. because there is this this idea that I think in many ways we can do things on our own because we've you think about the Great Depression and you think about other things historically in the region we've done things on our own for years we can still do it you know there's a there's a couple of ladies in my church that they grew up on Rome Mountain and um, I was talking to them they would have been really small at the tail end of the Great Depression and they said you know everybody was poor <laughs> and like you know we it really life just went on as normal in Appalachia during the Great Depression they didn't know what was going on they didn't know what the, no. the kids got into the school and saw it in the textbooks mom what's the Great Depression yeah. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> we've been living this way for years yeah. friend so uh, yeah I think so there's a general I mean raising I think Matthew you alluded to this people raising gardens mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times people will try to fix their own uh, homes different things like that yeah. you know, cars cars try yes. to your own car. big used car market down here where we're at right yeah <laughs> Not as mean, I mean you get a new car here people are like well what, what happened here you know did you win the lottery I mean yeah. there's jokes made about can't it can't hide you know? money can you can't, yes, yeah that's how oh yeah that's definitely one alright let's talk about the next one then neighborliness are people neighborly here define what you mean by neighborly uh, this is going to be um, a sense of uh, commonality between people who live close together. Well, so this is the, the unique thing for me, at least moving up here, is when we look at neighborly, there's not neighborhoods, which I'd be used to. You know, you just kind of live wherever. Wherever you pick the house, the land on the plot is where it lives. But there's a lot of families that live on the same plot of land. Mm, so, of course, they're going to be neighborly. That, that's their son. That's their daughter. That's their grandma. That's their... Well, not of um, course. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily work typically. out. Typically. <laughs> but, you know, like, so, so that, that attitude of neighborly, neighborliness, but it doesn't look the way that it would in other areas. No, it's, I, I, I think Avery County is the perfect example of this because, okay, so we're in Minneapolis right now. I mean, Minneapolis is, is not a city. It's not even a town. It is simply a community. But there is a ton of pride associated with Minneapolis. Yes. If you go, it takes you about three minutes from right here in this parking lot to get to Cranberry. There's a ton of pride associated with Cranberry. And those people in those communities, though there are differences and there have been uh, maybe divisions in the past, they're still neighborly with one another, so much so that on the 4th of July, we have a parade and a fireworks show right here in Minneapolis, and they have a parade and a fireworks show right over there in Cranberry, three minutes away. And there's probably, I mean, there's probably, what, a dozen fireworks shows in Avery County? Well, even more parades than that because there's a lot of these small, tight-knit communities that maybe they don't do a fireworks show because they don't have 
finances or whatever. Don't fire see department. Value in it. Or a fire department. But they, they still do a parade. And so it doesn't mm-hmm. look like your sort of typical neighborhood that you would see in a, mm-hmm. in a larger area, but they're still neighborly in that sort of we're in this community together. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, I think we kind of talked a little bit about this. You and I did in a previous episode just this idea of, you know, being a pastor or pastoring in kind of northern Kentucky and southern Indiana, and I know you're talking about those same experiences, how different it was than being back in East Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that just because from the area, but but uh, but even culturally there was more of a, a neighborliness there. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel the same thing even when I'm in western North Carolina. Um, there is just a culturally – uh, people are much more neighborly and, and tend to care for their neighbor. Or, I mean, down to simple things like somebody on the side of the road stopping and seeing if they need a hand. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe there's a funeral, people literally stopping and pulling over out of respect. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's little things like that that I think culture I built in, I think, feed into that idea of that neighborliness. Well, I think that, uh, I know that there are examples like Matthew gave where there are families who are literally family and neighbors or living on the same track of land. But I think that this extends, like uh, Brent was talking about, even neighbors that are not related, but their homes are in very close proximity, literally neighbors next door. Uh, it is not uncommon for Appalachians to make them like family. Yeah. You, you will see them at hospitals when, whenever you go to visit church mm-hmm. members. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I lived in the Midwest, this is not the case. Yeah. Uh, it came through to me, you know, it's kind of like you got to leave your home to know your mom's cooking is good or bad, you know what I mean, because you don't know. Uh, well, I had a neighbor there that had always lived in southern Indiana, and at this time a hurricane had pushed its way up. And, of course, it wasn't still a hurricane, but it was like a bad storm. It had ripped through southern Indiana, and we were declared in a state of emergency for three days. Well, I had a generator, and my neighbor did not. And so I was running my generator to try to keep my food and different things. We were without power for about four days. That's a long time. And he was shocked that I would share my generator and my power with him. And I just told him, I said, man, if we don't help each other out here, who's going to help us? And and I think that's kind of the mentality. Yeah. I didn't realize that that was an Appalachian value that had been instilled in me, but that was a foreign concept to people in southern Indiana. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of times outside of just this region, it's kind of feast or famine. Yeah, and I think oftentimes, especially in, L.A. And, and I think <laughs> I think maybe L.A. and California, maybe, maybe oh, not, yeah. so, maybe, not lower, maybe not lower, maybe not lower Alabama, I, I, but I would just call that being southern. I don't know, man. Because go, going back to a, a prime example, we brought up hurricane. We, we actually experienced hurricanes where I'm from. We don't get the aftermath. And so we had a, a good one that came in that actually affected here pretty bad called Hurricane Ivan back mm-hmm. in, I think, in 04. Yep. Um, that we were out without power for almost a week and a half. And um, our neighbor, all of us in our neighborhood, like a little quadrant of our neighborhood, it's about four families, we got together every night and whatever was in the freezer, it looked like it was a dethar on the fastest. That's what we cooked, and we all ate together as like four or five different families. Just brought our food together, and just ate, and had a cookout every night for a week and a half, so we got power back. Um, so I'll tell you, that's not necessarily unique to Appalachia. I'll tell you, that's more or less like a Southern hospitality mindset. Maybe, but particularly here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say we do it better. Yeah, we do it better. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, uh, familyism, right? This is Appalachians are family oriented. 
this, this yes. is true. Yeah, mm. I, and I think a lot of this just goes back to just as as Matthew was talking about, just a lot of families living close, but I think you think even historically just a lot of the roots, that, that Scott-Irish root, just living close and very tight-knit. Uh, and so I think you see a lot of that same, that same family. That's blood, water. Yeah, exactly. Because if you sit there, and, and I think we talked about it last episode, um, but you cannot sit there. They can sit there and talk as bad as they want to about a family member, whether it's a cousin, an aunt, or an uncle, or whoever. And, I mean, they can absolutely just tear them to pieces. But if you say one negative thing about their family member that they can't stand, they're coming after you. That's my uncle, man. Yeah, I mean, it's... Better watch. Family is big here. That can create problems sometimes in the local church if you have a family member who is in need of correction more than encouragement. Mm. Yes. But at other times, you would hope that that family would do the godly thing and use their influence as family to bring about that. So It can be an advantage, but I, I, would say, I would say that this aspect of Appalachia is one of the biggest challenges that our churches are facing right now. I mean, is, is that family, they say, I hate that saying, blood is thicker than water. I was joking when I said that, but they, you hear that all the time. And unfortunately, a lot of families see their family blood thicker than the blood of Jesus, which is a problem. For our, our churches. One that we should address in a later episode. That would be a good podcast. All right, on the last few minutes here as we're running out of time, uh, number five, uh, personalism. One of the main <clears throat> aims in the life of Appalachians is to relate well to other persons. Uh, we will sometimes go to great lengths to keep from offending others, even sometimes appearing to agree with people when in fact we do not. I know you've never experienced this as a pastor, right? It is very important to get along with everyone, and that's a part of the fabric here. What do you think about this one? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a limb and say, in some ways, no, um, because I think in, in some ways, uh, like I know, I know, like the the article you're referencing, I get what they're saying, the idea of not offending, um, even if it was something different. I, I feel like in many ways. That's not the case because I feel like in many ways, you know, if we believe something or someone says, "Hey, I believe this," they're they don't they're going to speak their piece and they don't they don't care. But, um, but I do see the idea of trying to get along, um, and making sure to to get along is more important than other things. So, for instance, like even in the church, if there's there is some sort of issue like you were speaking about, oftentimes the mindset is, "Well, we can just get along or we can just move past it instead of actually addressing it." Yeah, I, I would I would say they don't move past it; they just ignore it, yeah. and it eventually it bubbles over and causes issues in all sorts of aspects of their lives. But that happens because it's so important to have this perception that we all get along, even though there's actually some issues that we need to address. All right, good. Well, uh, that wraps up the first five five on episode five tune in next time when we'll deal with the next five any closing thoughts or comments before we wrap this one up guys it's been good all right join us for episode six till then you have been listening to the appalachian baptist network thanks for joining us if you have a question or comment for our host please send an email to appalachian Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page 
at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.